iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello again, everybody. This is The Rut from The Times and The Sunday Times. And thanks a million once again uh, for joining us. I'm Stephen Jones of The Sunday Times. This week, I'm joined in the studio by two promising young journalists. Please be, uh, don't be too hard on them. Will Kelleher from The Times and uh, equally promising, although slightly less young, Al Dimmock, features editor of Rugby World. It's been a while since I've been called young, Stephen. <laughs> Boys, um, we're in an exciting time for the game. Al, where were you? What have you seen on the weekend? What excited you, or what put you off rugby for life, or whatever? Oh, I was in Charles. Charles. People talking an awful lot about second screen experiences. Well, I was, I was mainly on childcare duty all, all all weekend. So uh, having to make sure that a child doesn't stumble into the into the fire whilst <laughs> watching rugby. Thankfully, there was a lot of entertaining rugby on. To, uh, what to you're get trying to say is you didn't to, go to a game. Uh, yes, that's right, okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. I decided to to, to put myself through. Um, Watching the Irish teams as much as possible just to get a closer look at them. I, I, for my sins, I couldn't do that for the Bath game, and I'm sure we'll get stuck mm. into that. But it was, yeah. I just felt cruel watching that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, certainly saw an awful lot of Ulster and Munster and a bit of Connacht as well. Okay, just uh, you, you mentioned before we came on air, um, these the four Irish provinces really gone well. I mean, look, it, they concentrate totally on this, but Ulster actually probably the least. Um, uh, publicised of the four in a way, but you you think that they're coming through, especially behind the scrum. Yes, absolutely, and I'd, I'd love to talk to it in a bit of detail. I was uh, I've been taking a closer look at the the talented young guys they've got on the backline there, but Ulster, but at the start of the season, before they announced that they were signing Dwayne Vermeulen, there was nothing on the signings front, and everyone thought, "Geez, COVID has really hit them very, very hard." And you know, I think Johnny Petrie, who's the CEO there, has spoken openly and honestly about how difficult a time it's been through this pandemic. But when you've got talent, young talent coming through, and I'll hopefully talk 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 a bit later about that um, when we get into the, into Europe and also the Six Nations. But mm. uh, guys like James Hume, uh, Balakun, and Michael Lowry, who at five foot seven has has been a real pocket rocket and caught everyone by surprise. That the talent they've they've come through is a real credit to the system that they've got there. Have they got a chance of winning the the Champions Cup? Well, they they're up against it certainly. I mean, we can get into the shakeout of this European tournament and yeah. just what the hell? I mean, you're more likely to follow the plot of Inception than you are to follow <laughs> the, the plot of this European season and how and how it's how the table has has panned out, but. Poor old Osterov had given it a, a good old whack in Europe and looked exceptional doing so. And just by, just by the dint of results and COVID cancellations, they're facing Toulouse hmm. in the next in the, the next two rounds uh, of the sixteen. So good luck to them. 
<laughs> that's 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 a tough one. We are coming. We, we're going to go game by game for the for the next round shortly. Will t- just tell us about your weekend, at least the things you can reveal. Yeah, no, I went to um, Harlequins on Friday night, which was very classic Quinn. Sort of um, let Caster get fourteen nil up, and then decided to start playing, and a few questionable decisions maybe by Mike Adamson on the referee at the end. Allowed Alex Dunbrandt to seal his hat trick and win the game with exactly the same scoreline as the week before when they beat Cardiff 36 33 as well. So that was where I was, and the stoop was a happy place on Friday night. Was uh, I, I don't think we, we, we can be downbeat about referees, and if we go into refereeing this weekend, we're going to get subterranean, frankly. <laughs> so we won't. Let's keep the, the upbeat well, theme. Well, I listened last week when Will was talking about fashion, and I did notice some questionable footwear from one of the referees. Oh, yes. But maybe we would best not to go into that Walking one either. Walking boots, weren't they? Well, the, the, the one referee I saw, yeah, he's a whistle in the wrong place, I was <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I was at the rec, um, I think it's. It could easily be spelt with a W now because it is looking really old and tired. It probably always did, but um, that was when they were winning. Um, Bath 7, Leinster 64. And I have to tell you that Bath's commitment in that game wasn't too bad, and that probably shows you how bad they were. Uh, But let's be fair, Leinster looked an absolute pedigree team. Johnny Sexton has had his problems with, you think now and again his heart's not in it or his body's not in it. He he played, he was as sharp as I've ever seen him on the weekend. Also, they've, they've got, as Al says with Ulster, um, Leinster have got players coming through. Bath, it's, it's, it's almost a root and branch thing there. Uh, I tend to think behind the scenes it's, it's not good at all. And I think that this horrible, horrible thing to say, but I think people on the field and off the field have to leave because that's the brutality of professional rugby. And I think quite a few of them do. Uh, Leinster, uh, for me, probably uh, marginal favourites now to, to, for, to take the tournament. Uh, okay, coming up on on this week's podcast, we look back on the weekend's. Uh, we look back in detail on the weekend's round of European fixtures. Uh, Premiership Rugby have announced a landmark TV deal that would see the games or some of the games back on free to air, and we've got Premiership Rugby's chief executive Simon Massey Taylor to join us. So very interesting. Jess Hayden will round up the latest in the women's game, and we'll also go through Eddie Jones's England squad. It baffled many and totally baffled everybody else. And we'd also have our God or Goddess of the Week with some strong contenders. First, let's uh, get back into the latest round of European rugby. Um, Racing and and uh, Cardiff seem, and Leicester seem to get 28-0 victories, Al. How much has the, these non-games uh, detracted from the competition? And well, the how com- unfair are they? Well, the competition was already really hard to put a finger on before that. Um, an interesting side note is is that there were there were some disgruntled noises, uh, particularly uh, coming out of Ireland when it's when it was decided that a couple of games, ones including Leinster, uh, would uh, have a twenty-eight nil scoreline going against them. Whereas some teams in France were able to put, muster a squad to to put a fixture on with the bare bones of what they had, and they said, "Well, we could have done that as well." Interestingly, we've mentioned her name on this podcast a couple of times now, and it's always for political reasons. Is Roxana Marcino, the sports minister in France, 
uh, decided that this week when Toulouse were handed a 28-0 victory and it looked like they would need to get through by the skin of their teeth to qualify for the next round mm. suddenly sprung to action and sent a letter to EPCR decrying the, the nature of these 28-0 scorelines but uh, all is forgiven I'm imagining because Toulouse have managed to scrape through but certainly it's a another question mark on an already puzzling setup for Europe and it's the, the real question is, is yes okay Covid allowing and all of that. Will this look exactly the same next season? Because there's got to be serious discussions now about how this goes ahead. The, what benefits everyone, I suppose, and what really can wallpaper over the cracks here is that if we go through the fixtures of the next round, there's some cracking ties mm. in there, and perhaps mm. all will be forgotten by the time that those kick off, and we go, "Oh, this is the cream of Europe." Well, that's what I was going to say. Is that hopefully by the time we get to these double-headed last sixteen games, it's April, we're out the back of winter, and things are a bit more improved, but. One thing I wanted to mention was, it's interesting, isn't it, on the point of testing, and we're not epidemiologists here on the ruck, but what they've been doing now in the NFL, now they're in the playoffs, is they're not actually testing their players every day like we are in the Premiership Rugby and European Rugby on lateral flows. They're almost like spot-checking teams and testing some of the unvaccinated players a bit more. And I wonder whether that might be the future for sport, that it's almost a bit like drug testing when you go in and do a spot check rather than testing everyone every week every day because you, you're going to get to the point where you find reasons to cancel these games well I would say with drug testing that's also because the menu of tests available is decided by how big your pot is and how yes, much money you can put true. towards it yes. however I take your point Will and that perhaps we get to a point where we go do we need to be putting this outlay of cash on everything and, and spring everyone whereas maybe it makes more sense to, to narrow down that pot of tests it's a hell of an expensive business as well I mean a round of PCR tests for an English club is £10,000 I think and when they've got, Bristol have said over this um, European pool stage they've lost 300 grand just having the cancellation of the sale um, Scarlet's game mm-hmm. and then losing 50 grand on a chartered plane that they didn't take to Paris so mm-hmm. yeah let's hope by the knockouts that 28 nils are an actual scoreline rather than one that's just preordained. We'll just go on to the next round of European stuff in a minute, but we'll just want to ask you about two clubs. Neither Bristol nor Sale have got a magnificent record in European Cup um, matches. Um, They're not seen as big Euro campaigners. Um, Suddenly, Bristol uh, came bursting out all over against Scarlets in a tight game, scored loads of points in the last quarter, played brilliantly. So too sail against the Ospreys. Now, they're not, not, as I say, they're not normally seen as contenders. Do you think they give, that they are making a late run or was that just a one-off game? Um, The Bristol one was interesting, wasn't it? Because it was very tight and then they ran away with it in the last few minutes of the game by three late tries. And actually, if you combine the the two results between those English teams and the Welsh teams, it was a 101-31 combined score, 15 tries to three, which isn't too pretty for the Welsh teams, is it? But Sale, Alex Anderson was asked after the game um, up at the AJ Bell whether he thought that they could win the tournament. And he said, yeah, why not? I mean, we've got guys like Faf de Klerk to come back into mm-hmm. the side. Um, they've got a really cool crop of young players there as well, guys like... Bevan Rod and Aaron um, Reed and all those guys. I mean, they could be contenders, I think, but it's a hell of a draw, isn't it? I mean, those two now, Bristol and Sale, are now against each other. And the winner of that is going to play the winner of the Parisian derby. And often, in the last few years, Racing have been one of those sort of nearly teams that have made the final lot and the due a win. So that's a, that's a tough draw, isn't it? But they're on a good side of it with 
La Rochelle, Bordeaux, Quinns and Montpellier if they do get through. Uh, just, uh, well, I know that uh, we've been talking earlier about you, you would change the elite nature of the competition, but but we'll come to you in a second. Al, uh, the 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 this is the this is the goal, the holy grail for all the uh, Irish teams. I think it's a notch or two down the priorities for some of the others, especially the English, because they just got so many other commitments. Are you happy with? Oh, let's put it this way. Where do they go next year with the format for the Champions Cup? Because you've got to be careful. Just because you call it the Champions Cup doesn't always doesn't mean it'll always be number one. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the conversation around this is different this week than it was last week. For example, we were all decrying the disgrace that was Montpellier and what they pulled in. And it was, it was. I listened to the podcast last week and with interest to, to Will's point about the the season structure making it more elite and having the top four. If the same Montpellier from last week had been, they would have still made this elite competition because they're in the top four and the top fourteen. So it's it's an interesting one. Where do your priorities lie? Because it feels still. Traditionally, like there's a handful of clubs that, in France in particular, prioritise Europe. Toulouse mm-hmm. it's part of their rich heritage and it's they are mm-hmm. rugby daft and it's crazy. La Rochelle, particularly under O'Gara now, it, it feels like something that they feel is a, a, a destiny for a club that has been rising through the ranks on the Atlantic coast there. Um, Munster and Leinster, a big part of their identity. Uh, for everyone else, it depends where they see their, their trajectory as as a club. So, for example, this is an incredible moment for Connett mm-hmm. to, to come through to the knockouts. And, and you have to say, a fine reward for the brilliant rugby that have been played. Will they come a cropper? The big debate in Ireland at the moment is the fact that Connett probably don't have the front five depth to to pull through and their resources are completely stretched and eventually it'll catch up with them. Um, if you change the elite nature of the club, will someone like, OK, Mont- Montpellier have, have, have come through and they, they, with that result at the weekend and actually... Are, are wondering well are we a big team against Quinns over two legs will we, they decide that that's as important at come April time as the top 14 it's hard to tell but so it depends you can't say to someone you're in the top you're top three of your league do you really fancy Europe do you want to give it a go hmm. I think I, I was on a, an Irish podcast last week and we were talking about this and that, my oh, point what my, a Judas my point, had, my point had been is the genie out the bottle with this one now the, the response I got back was this has always been the case this has been ever thus, thus. let's not look back with rose tinted glasses and say that the French have always prioritised the European Cup hmm. but what we do glory in is the ones that do and that's why Will's probably right. By the time we narrow it down to the to the round of sixteen, when we see the cream of the cop and the people that really care, it'll be fun again. You want fewer teams, Will? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think actually, I I don't think that the sort of I don't know lack of trying is a bit of a punchy thing to say, but the French teams giving away huge results is not a, just a French problem. I mean, we saw the Bath result the weekend and. Mm. It's, uh, what a difference a week makes with Wasps I mean we were praising them they got a hat-trick on the God of the Week last week and this week they had a tough afternoon in Munster and on your point about priorities I would probably say that in their heart of hearts they're probably quite annoyed that they didn't make it into a last 16 but actually mm. with players coming back with a squad that's been paper thin for a number of months now having a real attack on the back half of the Premiership is yeah. probably in there wheelhouse now which is fine and you see this in the football sometimes don't you where teams have a great season in the Premier League and then get into the Champions League or Europa League and then almost gets in the way of Mm. some of their league form doesn't it so I don't think it's an exclusive problem to 
French clubs. I mean, we've had years of underachieving English clubs in the, in the top European competitions as well. I think there's also some rough justice in there amongst the. If we take out the twenty eight nils and the the COVID disruptions, the people not caring, there's still some rough justice in there. So Glasgow Warriors, for example, were cock a hoop after beating Exeter in the fog, and they put on a phenomenal f- performance, and it was all, almost that beautifully ugly moment where you've got a team playing at their best and Exeter playing at their worst fast forward to the next two rounds and Glasgow are handily beaten look out of it and they just don't feel like they deserve to be in the knockout round so if you care to look there's still that sense that the, that the better teams will come through There's just it's just fewer far between at the moment we've given the tournament a little bit of a knocking now but just listen to this because I'm going to ask you now guys I'm going to tell you the uh, remind you of the fixtures in the next round, which is the first leg of home and away. You give me the winners, but blimey, how tasty are they? The first of all, harassing ninety-two against Dad Francais. I mean, the, what? What? I mean, that 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 is in previous years attracted eighty thousand to the Stade de France. Who do you fancy there, Al? I think Stad were absolutely buzzing to to get that win this weekend, yeah. but I just don't think. I think Rass, this is too big for Racing, and I just mm. I just can't see them co- coughing it up. The only thing is, I think that Racing have never quite got there, and I just wonder whether they they'll start panicking like like Clermont Auvergne used to in the French final. Will? Yeah, no, I, I would back Racing for that. That's and it- three Racings then, three Racings. Bristol Sale, Aldimac. I mean, what that could be a tremendous um, home and away, tremendous home yeah. and away. Well, I mean, I'm, you're going to talk. You're talking about capacity crowds for those. I would have thought. Yeah. Well, uh, my my answer to this is based purely on the fact that I saw Lud de Jaeger throw a backdoor offload uh, the other day. Uh, so I'm just going to edge sail on that one. I think backdoor yeah, backdoor offload so. has, has brought home. Brought it home yeah. Sale. Yeah. I, th- I think sail too. I think they've got more potential for growth. Let's put it like that. Yeah. True. Bristol did put them away recently, but there we go. Harlequins Montpellier. Uh, will they be playing the Montpellier? Who give up and uh, and bottle it, or the Montpellier who beat Exeter yesterday? So I think as Quins are the sort of comeback kings at the moment, having the second leg of that at the stoop might be helpful because yeah. they might get beaten out in France, but then they it's all it's the whole Liverpool thing in the Champions League, isn't it? Of the first leg away and then yeah. bring them back to the the cop end and. Anything can happen. So I, 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 I'm going to back Quinns for that one. I think that'll be very tight. One we'd all like to go to, uh, Al, uh, La Rochelle Bordeaux. <sighs> it's on been the on West the coast. Tell you what, it's been a bucket list to see yeah. La Rochelle, but absolutely jumping. Yeah. Flares going off, yellow flags everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I just I tell you what, Bordeaux are the Bordeaux are the great unknown in this this competition. They're a phenomenal side. You don't yeah. know what you're going to expect from them. You don't know how far up they're going to be. I suspect that they'll probably be pretty pretty keen so certainly that's going to be a tasty fixture but based on been there done that got the t-shirt nicked off our back last season I'll squeak La Rochelle there squeak La Rochelle would you squeak Will? well yeah La Rochelle I think Um, but Bordeaux put away Bristol in this round last time didn't they and then um, La Rochelle put away Sale so those are pretty tasty teams but I think the, the La Rochelle beefy pack might Okay, well, the we'll have a descent of that. I might just sneak, sneak in for Bordeaux. Al, you've been bigging up Ulster, and now you're saying, oh, blimey, what bad luck they got to lose. That could still be unbelievably tight, though, couldn't it? It could, absolutely. And I just want to take this moment to, to eulogise Ulster, if oh, I yeah, can, because yeah. I, yeah. I mentioned their, their, their back three guys. Last week, I was speaking to some contacts in Ulster about, particularly Michael Lowry and what makes him so special. Um, five foot seven, 
weighs absolutely nothing so can wet and but he is thriving in Europe in particular but playing really well in the league as well and uh, the big thing I, I was told about him is I heard comparisons between him and Darcy Graham at Edinburgh and uh, Cheslin Colby not just for the footwork and, uh, and the fact that you can step someone in a telephone box and we saw clips of Lowry's scoop and run mm-hmm. uh, last week and it was exceptional stuff but the big thing I heard was incredibly brave but with it phenomenal footwork in contact because a guy that small will get ragdolled and mm. chucked about and mm. can get seriously hurt but he doesn't mm. because A he's pretty tasty but also he great leg drive smart about where he goes and attacks that well Hume was a stick on to be in the Allen squad and people were saying oh but will he displace Aki and Henshaw and Ringrose mm. who are all phenomenal players mm. for the Island team but actually he's thrown himself in the mix and the big one, the one that people reckon probably will get a run in the team at some point, is Balakun on the wing, who is just a, a phenomenal player. These guys have come through and they've been given the chance to play regularly uh, when their backs have been against the wall in, in, a, in a, a club that that has ambitions but always seems to fall short season after season. Mm. Um, and just something's, something's coming right for them in Ulster at the moment. Against Toulouse, we know the depth of talent that they've got some of those guys have just fallen out of the France squad uh, for, because they've got uh, a COVID outbreak in the club there but you expect they'll be back in time for Italy those great names and by the time this comes around in in April <sighs> Toulouse love coming strong at the end of the season and mm. these are team. this is a team that is happy to contest two titles in the same season yeah so you just imagine, year, didn't they? yes, exactly. So, and we all saw the pictures of them wearing ski masks and getting champagne <laughs> popped in their face. Uh, they're a team that love to win. They're a team that love to compete in all, all farms. And I just think it's maybe just a bit too much for Ulster. Okay, so by a small margin, you're going for Toulouse, Ulster, Toulouse. Will? Yeah, Toulouse. I think. Um, I mean, if Ulster were to pull it off, it'd be an unbelievable yeah. result and blow the tournament wide open. But yeah, I would, I would back Toulouse, the keep, champs. Keep going, Will, because um, uh, Munster. We we know all about Munster. I don't think actually. Technically, they're as good a side as Ulster or Leinster, but um, they've got incredible, implacable home form, especially. Exeter also come strong later in the season. Who do you fancy there? Um, Maybe the neutral is glad that that game's not happening in December or January. I remember going to Sandy Park a few years ago when they were both in the same pool, and we've all been down to Sandy Park, and the wind howled down there, and it was so bad that no one could get out of their 22, so the whole yeah. game was played in one corner of the pitch. Well, we're sorry you got inconvenience there. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was fine up in the stands, but, we, you know. We'll, have, we'll get a radiator put next to you next time. But, yeah, um, I mean, Munster. that's that's a hell of a gritty one, isn't it? Munster and Exeter and the, the five-metre merchants. Tell, but, tell you and what the winners are. Winners are winners I'm going to pump for... Munster, there you go. Interestingly, this is what a difference a couple of weeks makes. But in the URC, people were decrying the way that Munster were playing, the fact that they were they had made fewer passes as a team compared to the opposition scrum half and that kind of thing. And former Munster players were they've won a couple of games in a row now, and against and in the last round there, Munster were actually playing some free flowing stuff. Ben Ben Healy, he's only started a couple of league games for for Munster in the URC. Just decided to start directing traffic, and I'd, uh, will that be what they're like against Exeter? I, d- I don't think for a second that is what they will be like. Mm. But um, certainly the pressure—I mean, a lot of eyes will be on Munster in the way that they play. I think some people last week were saying, "Can we swap Johan van Gran into to Bath now oh. uh, and change things up there?" Which I don't know about that. But I think okay, Munster or Exeter? I think Munster. Just I think Exeter will win with a bit to spare. Uh, the, the great games keep on coming Leicester against Clermont-Auvergne 
Claremont are nothing like as good as they were, but at home, they're almost as good as they were. Al? Yeah, I mean, I, I see. I just, you know, close to the match, I see Leicester winning this one. Yeah, um, but I agree. you know, Claremont, um, uh, they've not had one of those. They're not a current crop of Claremont players that you'd say this is a classic side. Mm-hmm. And I think they'd probably need want a little bit of regeneration. Um, Leicester, meanwhile, have completely transformed. And we've spoken. We don't need to go into great depth that uh, because we spoke no, about we them a lot. We don't. I, I, I think I, again. I think that'll be tighter than people think. I agree with Leicester or oh, three for Leicester. Yeah, three hat trick. And the, the, for the final game, uh, Al's uh, Al's um, one of Al's favourite teams, Connaught against Leinster. That's that's the that's all the only reward Connaught got for battling their way through. Al, yeah. Um, the really, you can see them. Testing Leinster for the first twenty, but not really after that. No, I think they'll certainly they'll they'll give they'll, they always pose lots of questions to the defensive structure. They always keep keep you guessing about where they're going. Jack Carty's in incredible form, but the big thing that people have said about Connor is front five depth, a couple of injuries here or there, and suddenly they look paper thin up front. And it's just it, it's just going to be one of those things where Leinster just have too much muscle, and Len, the way Leinster play, it's it can be. There's something horrifically inevitable about it when they're in form. Horrifically inevitable. Okay, we'll just hope that Will's not too cold when he gets down to wherever <laughs> he's going as well. Just very, very briefly, in the Challenge Cup, Leon uh, uh, beat Bet- Benetton, Edinburgh, Hamid Breve by 60. Zebra lost it home to Worcester. Toulon had one of those odd 28 nil victories over Newcastle. Gloucester 68, the mighty or the once mighty Perpignan 19, Saracens 45, London Irish 24. Those were the results in the men's game this weekend. Now over to our Jess Hayden for her roundup of the latest from the women's game. The Premier 15s was quieter than usual this weekend as it was used as a reserve week to field three fixtures that had been postponed earlier in the season due to coronavirus cases in the league. Wasps secured a losing bonus point in a second-half comeback against Loughborough Lightning with tries from Maud Muir, Abby Dow, Heather Kerr and Sammy Wong, but it was not enough to stop the thunder of lightning at Twyford Avenue as Loughborough kept their lead for a 41-22 win. In Tyneside, Worcester Warriors took a bonus point win with their 74-5 defeat of DMP Durham Sharks. The Warriors scored 12 tries, including a hat-trick from outside centre Jade Sheckles, but the try of the game came from the last play. Ellen Murphy booted a perfectly weighted cross-field kick to be collected by Sarah Marira, who sprinted down the touchline to finish the game. In sale, Saracens found themselves in the rare position of being behind in the first half and struggled to keep their lead throughout the match. Sale Shark scored two tries in the first 10 minutes and even once Saracens overtook on the scoreboard, Sale were quick to level the score. Saracens were without a few key players but fought back to make it three wins from three in 2022 and kept their place at the top of the table in a 41-26 win. In other news, Wales used this reserve week as an opportunity to gather their newly turned professional women's squad for a training camp in preparation for the Women's Six Nations which is due to take place this spring. So the results from this weekend are DMP Durham Sharks 5, Worcester Warriors 74, Sale Sharks 26, Saracens 41, and finally, Wasps 22, Loughborough Lightning 41. Thanks, Jess. Well, now we're joined by Simon Massey-Taylor, Premiership Rugby's new or newish chief executive. Simon, um, welcome. Thanks for coming to us. And I think immediately there's news from Premiership Rugby because that vexatious question of... um, of, of terrestrial TV against satellite TV, etc. 
uh, you've made a stand, or at least you've made a, a declaration there, because some of the Premiership rugby games starting this weekend are going to be on terrestrial. Um, a big decision. What does that mean to you and to the clubs? Yes. Well, actually, first of all, thanks very much for having me on, and hello, everybody. Yeah. So the the, um, the, the TV piece is really important to us, and and the partnership with ITV um, is is great news for for the clubs, and hopefully for fans as well. I think the the balance of, of free to wear and, and pay is is obviously as you as you point out um, a uh, a debate everyone has, and I think it, it's got to be acknowledged actually first of all uh, from BT Sport um, for for allowing us to to do this. They actually see a, a huge amount of benefit for um, uh, for free to wear for them because they've they've built a really good platform and reputation around Premiership Rugby and broadcasting Premiership Rugby and. You know, I think the, the the figures speak for themselves at the moment as far as how well that's doing. Um, but gi- giving giving the platform and and the league a bit more oxygen, um, I think, helps us all. And so, this uh, this partnership with ITV, um, which will be five games for this season, um, starting off this weekend um, with with um, with Leicester Sale, um, but also crucially including the final. Um, this year, and and then seven games in the final for the next couple of years after that. Yes, um, we hope just brings in um, a bro- that broader rugby audience that we know is there, and uh, and and just to, needs to see more Premiership. Do you, the, the um, you, you were saying that the the, the uh, BT of um, there's good news and they they've they've fought a fight and and the, the f- are you saying that uh, the figures are better that the actual viewing figures. Yeah, I mean, this season we are about thirty percent up, I think, from our best season so far, um, um, which is obviously obviously great news. And you know, some of that's brought down to this just, I guess, almost ten years worth of investment from them in, in building that audience. Um, but you know, re- re- really, um, we are, we're reaching now, I think, a peak of almost ten million um, for this season so far. So there's some really good figures. Uh, Simon, just just on that, you mentioned the. It gives you a bit more oxygen to be seen by a terrestrial audience. It sounds like people are happy with the the trajectory that things are travelling on um, on BT Sport. But um, how how much ceiling do you think there is, and and why do you think that oxygen is is so necessary? Because if things are trending upwards, how much more do you think you can get from going on terrestrial? Well, I think going on terrestrial clearly it, it, it accesses that that broader, more casual rugby fan, and you just you'll see that over the next um, few months with the Six Nations. You know, you're going to have seven, eight million people tuning in to BBC and ITV um, to, to to watch the the, the Six Nations, and um, you know there is it, given how exciting the Premiership is, there's no reason why you can't migrate some of those fans to watch a more regular club rugby as well where those where those international stars are you know are playing week in week out and so really you know for us the the strategy and the plan is to try and be align ourselves more closely uh, with the international game and ITV are the broadcaster for um the England Six Nations games that also they're, they're a rugby world cup broadcaster so you know being where that rugby fan is and 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 feeding off those those big peak moments you have with the six nations and then bring them into the club game is 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 part of the vision with ITV um with with the the viewership uh, trending in a way that people you sound happy with how does that how does that offset and how could that potentially offset attendances where's the trend going forward with that at the moment 
Yeah, we're watching attendances very closely, and I think the the the, the reality is that crowds are, are coming back sl- more slowly than than you'd hope off the back of COVID, and clearly over the Christmas break that that just set things back um, further. But the general noise from the clubs and it is a positive one in, in in that they're building back those crowds and they feel very confident that you know towards the end of the season and certainly leading into next that they'll be back to to, to hopefully where they were and you, you know you build again from there. The, the clubs, yeah, our, our clubs feel um, that um, that free to air and and just general exposure uh, can only be a good thing really for for, for drawing people in to actually attend the games. Um, and so it, it's a sort of it's a virtuous circle. That's the intention. Hi, Simon. It's Will here. Hope you're well. Uh, I just wanted to ask you one about the um, the viewing figures and what sort of uptick you might expect on terrestrial. Um, can you help us with some of the figures and what would be a good Saturday afternoon viewing viewership for BT Sport and what might you expect for let's say the Sale Leicester game on Sunday that's going to be on ITV. Well, I mean, I think the the round averages are um, have been close to two hundred thousand, and now are now far exceeding that. Actually, I think the, the the average for for up to round thirteen or for round thirteen was I think about two hundred forty thousand for 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 each of the three games. Um, and then we've we've started to see peak audiences, for example, uh, being rec- again records being broken where. Um, I think the, the bear on a Friday night, the Bear Sharks game was was over a quarter of a million, and for the for Saturday audiences, the Quinns Chief game Chiefs game a couple of weeks ago was um, was over three hundred and seventy thousand. So th- these are these are really decent figures, and actually, if you if you compare them to um, previous going back to my old job, but the RFU previous six uh, um, autumn international figures on Sky. It, that represents about half a sort of a, an average England game against someone mm. like Australia. So you're sort of you're nudging that way anyway, and then and then and then you have the um, the, the impact of free to air on top of that. And you know you'd you'd be hoping that through a combination of live and highlights that you'd um you you get uh, at least over half a million there really, and then you build to the final moment, which in time you know we'd we want to have you know seven figure broadcast figures. So yeah. you just start sort of chipping away at that. Seven eight million of the international audience. So Simon, uh, back to Steve. I I I hear you in the, the with the excellent news, but one thing that we don't uh, in in the media and I think in the public we don't we haven't seen yet is much more hands on driving pushing from from your from Premiership Rugby in terms of marketing central marketing you know individual club marketing. Do you think that's going to be a, a, a big facet because you know the, there are a lot lot of uncommitted out there who will come because you know they've heard about rugby they've heard it's fun and you're not isolated but we, we I sometimes think that in terms of marketing we've not made the best of it yeah I think um I mean the the the, the challenge is twofold for me um one of them is is principally a, a sort of sporting thing which where you know we're responsible for, for for running a league and making sure that that's the most competitive and exciting league um, and those clubs can compete on a on, a, on an international level. Um, but the second one is is a is a marketing role really, and it's to promote and sell the league to rugby fans. And really, the the, the vision for me on that is that um, clearly you have these sort of peak peak window moments with the international game. But you know what you've got and the beauty of club rugby 
is it you know it's week in week out and and it's the for me it's the beating heart of the english game and and so you you, you want to make sure that, that 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 beating heart is felt and so that's that's where we have to collaborate more both both with ourselves and so um with the clubs with prem rugby to make sure that 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 that, that noise is heard but also you know, I think we can collaborate more with our, you know, the other rugby stakeholders that we've got in our environment to try and tell a bit more of a collective story around around the game and and also the importance of um, of the Premiership within that. Simon, you you mentioned that you're three weeks into the job, and I'm imagining in the middle of a, a global pandemic, it must feel like what the hell have I done to myself here? <laughs> but with with that, uh, what now that you've got your feet under the desk, what do you see as your greatest challenges with with the Premiership? I, mean, I think that there's sort of there's five buckets for me really to sort of focus on. Um, one of them, as we just talked around, is, is is collaboration and 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 telling rugby story and and, and making sure that that, that it grows. Um, I think any sport is is needing to have a more direct relationship with the fan um, and serve up what they want and 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 to make it as specific to those fans as possible. So that's a big sort of. Um, transformational piece but from how how a lot of um how we all work um both at a club level and and at a league level um there's a definite need to to continue to modernize the product um and that's whether that's in stadia whether that's online whether that's you know on screen with broadcast and so there'll be a big focus on that um i think the other piece is around competitive and exciting rugby and just you know, I think our, our vital signs are good on that, um, but it's it's a constant watch out on on. And this is when season format, this is when um, competition structure, things like salary cap, all that all that stuff um, leads into making sure those vital signs are are, are healthy. So that will be a constant watch out. And um, I think the sort of final piece is is really around future proofing. Really, you know, we've got um, uh, we've got a. Con- create a sort of sustainable league really that um at at, at a local level for the clubs you know the the, the, they really have been through a really challenging time over the last couple of years and it's set back a lot of their plans and 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 really with that we now need to sort of set a, a pathway where we can you know reach the point where clubs are sustainable and and we don't have to um, rely so much on the on the benevolence and just sheer passion of the ownership group that we got at the moment. That was uh, Simon Massey Taylor of Premiership Rugby, the chief executive for three weeks, but uh, hopefully for a long and successful future. Thank you, Simon. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, uh, Simon. It was really nice to hear from him. We're going to go on to God or Goddess of the Week. But first, a little bit more chat about Eddie Jones and the endless controversies about England. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Guys, um, uh, Eddie Jones said recently that he would have to pick Owen Farrell at inside centre so that Marcus Smith, Eddie's obvious choice at 10, allegedly, would have someone to run the game for him. Well, not being able to run the game as an international 10 is slightly odd. Now we know that Owen Farrell is out. Will, does that muck up all of Eddie's so-called strategy? Uh yeah, I think, and it's a fascinating one. So we're recording this before England put out a squad update, but the expectation is that there's a reprieve coming for George Ford. Um, and I find that call fascinating, particularly for the psychology for Ford himself, a guy who's been unwanted for the last two squads and is basically being now picked on necessity. And I feel like, I don't know what you guys would think about it, but he's kind of been messed about a bit over the last few years. I mean... He was the Smith of kind of 10 years ago, the attacking guy who takes the ball to the line. And he became incredibly malleable to the game plan that the coaches wanted him to play. And now and then was dropped because he was playing that way and wasn't playing the way they wanted to change the game to. The sort of England 2020 ways worked very well for Leicester and that's counting against him. But bringing him back into the squad, he's an out-and-out fly half. So how does he approach it knowing that Smith is the first choice. But I think you said earlier, isn't isn't the, the key choice now not at 10, but at 12? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the next thing. So it would be fascinating if Orlando Bailey was the man who got injured over the weekend playing against Leinster and it wasn't Farrell. I'm not sure whether Ford would have been the guy called up. I wonder mm. if Eddie might have gone for someone like Charlie Atkinson as a mm. young 10. Because 12 is the interesting one, isn't it? I mean, Mark Atkinson's played once. Um, he's the only real out-and-out out 12 they've got in that squad with Marchant, Northmore and Slade. Personally, I'd have Slade playing at 12, but it changes the dynamic and you need ball carriers elsewhere then. Uh, I'll, um, w- 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 is there any chance now? Eddie says uh, Marcus has to have uh, um, Owen Farrell playing alongside him, mainly, I think, to, to try and get Owen in the team somewhere. But is there any way now that Eddie might swallow his pride and realise it's gone a bit too far and put George Ford 10? Well, the interesting thing is we know how close Ford and Farrell have been through the years and a lot of talk that you've heard come out of England over the years is that these two together have put their brains as one and sort of masterminded the, the attacking shape that we've seen from England through the years. Ford was the one that was jettisoned but Farrell was just too valuable uh, a personality to, to get rid of in the, in the England team because he's just got such a force of will and he mm. bends people around him uh, to play a certain way. 
it doesn't. If that's the case, and I always find it fascinating, what we're talking about really at the moment is two two fly halves who have weeks in a row won games at the death for their clubs. It just so happens that the the clubs play two completely different styles. If this was uh, two years ago, you'd imagine Ford would be a complete shoe in because that's what the tactical leanings of this England national team were. It played right into the style that George Ford is playing now. It sort of negates the conversation about 12 though because you know Marchant is down we expect him to see him as a centre but he's been so valuable actually playing on the on wing, the wing of has, late yeah. and mm. actually in, particularly for Quinns has been off high balls or running off someone's shoulders looked yeah. exceptional off the wing I think actually I'd have him over over Johnny May and Watson if they were both injured he's been so good absolutely so he's been in great form and Slade you always go is he a 12 is he a 13 where do we play him so whatever happens we've we're now if there's no one coming in at centre suddenly you're looking at this and this could all be academic of course but you look at that and you go almost flip a coin for the, the fly-off we, if Ford is as malleable as, as Will suggests and could play the style that, that we've come to expect from um, Smith and certainly the way that England want to play uh, after, the no- after the November tests great that 10 conversation for me is uh who do you pick at? Who do you pick at centre now? Because Farrell, why has Farrell got into this position where he is suddenly so valuable that we can't even have other guys in the squads that perform an exact mm-hmm. same role yeah, as him? Yeah, yeah. And that's where it seems like Eddie Jones has had a blind spot. He's had a massive. I think he's disappeared in the direction of his own backside, actually, because um, I, I think it was all to try and counter press speculation and try and meld the team in a certain way. I, I would have. Uh, I, I think Atkinson is. A, grossly underrated player and I think he's the only person they got to perform that sort of powerhouse he's, and he's not just a sort of straight up and down uh, smasher either and he's a clever player and I would use him and I would have Ford at, Ford at 10 I'm sure he won't but but uh, Al if you're the Scottish coaches say it's not a very nice day who do you want to be at 10 for England I reckon you want Marcus Smith uh, I, yeah, you want to well, play against Marcus Smith I, I think as I say both well certainly if you're Scottish you've got flashbacks of that game where it, Scotland were getting handily beaten they suddenly came back after half time and were roaring and who was it that came in under the posts to snatch a draw from the, the mm. jaws of defeat it was Ford yeah. yes, who, who did yes, that yeah, England. Cool, so yeah. certainly there's a, there's a bit of the boogeyman about him um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not joking when I say that if you're Scottish you could you could flip a coin I think what's scary about both those tens and why it was probably a bit of relief that Ford wasn't in the squad to begin with is because of what these guys are doing week in week out for their clubs they are snatching they are grasping uh, wins and they are making things happen at mm. the death which is which particularly in something that if this Six Nations is going to be as tight as we keep hearing that's mm. what scares you fair point I, I, as I went to before I think the, what approach do you take is George Ford now so we're recording this on Monday when England are joining up in the afternoon in Brighton for a training camp week you've been told that you're surplus to requirements but now you're back in out of necessity Eddie Jones has nailed his colours to the mast that Smith is his fly half and nailed his colours to the mast that Farrell is his captain and his 12 so you're only as George Ford seemingly coming in as a stopgap filler and a mentor to Marcus Smith, maybe, who's the guy who's taking your shirt. So I just find that he's going to be competitive, he's going to want to start at Murrayfield if he can. But how do you approach that, knowing that you're basically the guy that he didn't want? And, and the, the most amazing thing is, and I'm, I'm just going to ask you a final question each. Al, as a front row expert, I'm going to 
ask you um, who you'd have at, uh, I'll come back to you in a minute, who you'd have t in the key tight head prop position with big question marks there. Will, I'm asking you what your back row would be and who would be playing where. But before you before you say that, um, th there is one point I'd like to make about George Ford. Eddie um, Jones announced a squad of 36. Why on God's earth could he not make one of them George Ford? He had to make this huge point. He reduced himself to one, two, two fly halves, one of whom had not played for months and is now not going to play for a few more months. There was no reason in the 36-man squad why George Ford wouldn't be in there, and he's out because of Eddie's dogma, and now he's got to do what we call in journalism a reverse ferret. Al, tight head prop. The selection itself tells you exactly what dire what the direction of travel is. It has to be Cal Sinclair. It's there's just so few options. The, the way that they've designed this squad, the way that they've called up players, means that you have to go with Sinclair, or you you decide we've given Stewart enough caps. Will we give him a go? Okay, his squad is his club side is he's not having a good time. Uh, maybe the light relief will be playing in a Six Nations Calcutta <laughs> Cup clash. Oh, fantastic! Great. So. It, it has to be Sinclair and it, it, watching Cal Sinclair this season has been fascinating because he's sort of whilst Bristol have been going up and down uh, I've watched him a bit and all sorts happened I remember watching him against Genge one on one and him mm. sort of losing his rag with the referee almost with the mm. where where the decisions were being going and even the match official having to say take a breath Calm down. let's go here <laughs> is that the kind of is, is he in the right headspace to pitch into to a match like this you, as an England fan you'd absolutely hope so as Cal Sinclair you'd absolutely hope so but the hands are almost tied by the selection and there's yeah. you have to say w what the development is like in certain positions because if you look at Loosehead as well Bevan Rod has, has, has jumped on but he was a selection out of necessity because mm, of injuries yeah. Joe Marler is so vital to this England team mm -hmm. he is so so important that any niggle to him and you're suddenly going right right this learning curve is pretty steep for the rest of these guys. Let's see how far we can climb them. Get your crampons ready, lads. <laughs> okay, so Al's uh, obvious. He's going for Marla and Sinclair. Um, one because of, of an excellent player, the other because probably no no one's bubbling up underneath. Back row, please, Will. Yeah, I, I think I'm sticking with what I said last week. And Courtney Laws at six, Tom Curry in his proper position at seven. And now that England have options at number eight, you can do that. And I think mm. I would plump to start with with Alex Dombrant, knowing that Smith and the telepathy that they have together is vital. Yeah. And then it's an amazing bench that they could put out with Sam Simmons. I mean, he's the great stat from the weekend was that he scored his 75th Exeter try in his 100th <sighs> club game. That's unbelievable. It's crazy, that's isn't it? And they both is, is scored he, Is he allowed to bring um, yours and Kirsten? Yeah, well, that's yes. yeah, yeah, the latches. Bring, yeah. As long as you can bring his mates with him. Yeah. That's a fair point. I think I'd agree with you, back row. Possibly I might start with Sam Simmons. But we'll move on now to God or Goddess of the Week. We start with Will, I think, to give myself and Al extra time to think. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very prepared for this because I was watching the games. Uh, I wasn't actually working yesterday, but I was... A huge shift for the ruck watching lots of rugby yesterday and the the best moment hands down we love a prop on this podcast was Bevan Rod Ben Curry's turnover he takes the ball finds himself through a hole and then picks out an unbelievable pass mm. off his right hand mm. to uh, read in the corner and it was just sensational stuff there, love th it there he goes by the grace of Rod <laughs> <laughs> in Rod we trust yeah. yes yeah yeah 
I'll tell you what, it's 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 hard it's hard for me to argue with that because obviously I'm completely biased to the front row guys. But um, I, I toyed whether this was going to be a gods or devil of the week actually. Um, uh, which way to go with it? I don't know if we saw that moment where Wayne Barnes, mm. quick as you like, gave a second yellow card to Tolu Latu. Uh, and listening back on the television, you know that annoying thing where commentators are always like, "We're sorry if you picked up any oh, bad yeah, language on yeah. the mic." Well, mm. yeah. Wayne Barnes relayed word for word what was said <laughs> to him by Tolu Latu, and it was a string of uh, expletives yeah. um, that got him the second yellow card. So I don't know whether it's to make Wayne uh, Barnes God of the Week for that yellow card or Tolu Latu the Devil of the Week. Pick and choose. We'll have one on each shoulder, I suppose. Okay. Well, that's all right. That's allowed. The God and the Devil. So Wayne was the devil or the god? Wayne the was god. the god. He's a god. Well, listen, I've uh, two good ones there. I've considered B.E. Yellow for a third week, <laughs> third week running, but I don't think I can I can sustain it this time. I'm going to give it to a guy I've been critical of because I think he's a bizarre bloke, uh, stroppy with referees. But when you see Johnny Sexton play like he did against Bath with a kind of magisterial command of all he surveys and the vision and the pace and the accuracy and how good he made Henshaw, Ringrose, what, I don't say they're not good anyway. Uh, it, was a, it was just a devastating exhibition of attacking rugby. So Johnny Sexton for me. Sexton has an incredible self-awareness as well because after the game he was asked about uh, Ireland playing Wales and uh, Dan Bigger being selected as captain for Wales mm, and he, said, nice. he implied the referee's in for a hell of a time with both of us if I have. <laughs> Which is true Can I just give an honourable mention as well um, just before we came on the podcast um, a prestigious award was given out the Rugby Union Writers Club Pat Marshall Memorial Award and we can exclusively reveal, depending on when you're well, listening to this, well, no, who uh, won. Oh, well, I can tell you, if you like, the, uh, the, the runners-up. The Pat Marshall Award, given by the Rugby Writers, is the oldest um, individual award in rugby. The, um, the uh, contenders this year, the shortlist, was Dan Leo for everything he's done for Pacific Rugby, Marcus Smith, Simon Middleton, Alan Wynne-Jones, Anton Dupont, and Zoe Olcroft, uh, who's been absolutely brilliant for the England women's team in the pack. Will, the Pat Marshall, uh, the recipient of the Pat Marshall Award is? It was Antoine Dupont. What a year he has. I mean, World Rugby Player of the Year in the men's game, European Player of the Year, European Cup winner, top 14, and then he gets the best one of all, the Pat Marshall. And well, the you're, first for, you're, forgetting, winner, you're forgetting Rugby World named him the best yeah, player in the world Yeah, and, well. and top 100 Rugby World as well. Okay. And, and he's Is the anything first, he hasn't won? Well, he was the first French winner, here's the stat, since 1981, Jean-Pierre Reeves. He was also, as a final, final word, he was also one of our gods of the week not so long ago. Thanks so much for listening to The Ruck. Please subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, one more treat to come this week. Al. Yeah, uh, keep your ears peeled. Is that a phrase people say? Uh, keep your ear out for uh, a, a special podcast coming from, from the team at The Rock here where we take a look, delve into all the narratives of the Six Nations that's coming ahead and how excited we are for that. And when's that out, Al? That should be out on Tuesday, uh, so keep your eyes on all of your feeds. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone